You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm talking with Beth Manning, a really, really nice colleague that has an awesome knowledge about change management. And change management is something that we do all the time when we introduce new ideas, want to, you know, change a process, want to, you know, anything that we do in terms of innovation, all that has to do with change management. So stay tuned for this really, really nice episode. I first come across change management quite some time ago and there I was predominantly thinking about it as something that is important you know for people higher up in the organizations that lead these really big transformational projects but the more I learned about it the more I thought that this is something that we are doing all the time yeah whether it is something that is about changing the design of a study or whether it's introducing a new process or you know anything that has to do with change little or small will need some of this change management and Beth is really really knowledgeable so stay tuned for this really nice a discussion with her I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. And there will be lots of webinars in 2021. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician. And today we are talking about an interesting topic, which is something that first I never thought about would be interesting for, for statisticians. But then I encountered it's something that I need to dive into quite frequently because whenever there's a something to change, a new process to be rolled out or a new uh, design to be introduced or anything that we want to change, it's about change management. And so today I'm really glad that I have a great colleague with me who is a real expert in this. And Beth has helped me personally already quite a lot in terms of change management and driving forward an initiative to bring a change to a bigger organization. And so glad to have you here, Beth. How are you doing today? Thanks, Alexander. No, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm good. Okay. So when did you first got in touch with change? <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will back up just a little bit in, in the lineage here. I entered the pharmaceutical space, the clinical research space, out of my career being a competitive choreographer. Mm -hmm. And my educational background is in interpersonal and organizational communication. 
Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, Alexander, if you had asked me in college, what is the least likely job I would find myself in? I would have probably said something related to science or pharma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so coming into an, uh, another conversation, another time for the pathway that got me there, but coming into pharma has been such a win-win opportunity coming from a completely different vantage point mm-hmm. with colleagues who are so brilliant in their space of the science and the rigor and the analysis. And here was this person coming in with these ideas from completely left field and questions that they never ever wanted to ask or even thought to ask. So the journey has been change management without me calling it change management or knowing it was change for many years now. Mm -hmm. This opportunity of helping people have those aha moments of, I would have never thought that way, but now that I do, it opens up all these other possibilities for me to consider or these opportunities for me to take advantage of. And those moments are so energizing for me. So fast forward, and I've had the experience of helping our culture shift several times. Uh, from the simple of things as creating career paths for certain roles that previously were never considered to Mm -hmm. leverage beyond an entry level, for example, administrative roles. Mm -hmm. We now have program coordinators and team coordinators that were never there. And from that point forward, bigger, more strategic things like data sharing and patient engagement, these things that were buzzwords Mm -hmm. at their early infancy, I had the opportunity to make them real within our organization and to help our company shift in those ways to see the real value Um, and the mindset and the behaviors that come along with that journey are so powerful and they have additive effect, right? Each time you've grown, then the next time you grow even more and the next time you grow even more. So now I'm in the role of leading the change management. This time there's actually a name to it (laughs) around our digital business transformation. And I reflect back, it's the same type of process. And now I'm learning even more what the rigor of specifically deploying change management activities and a change management strategy, how to articulate that more with a methodology Mm -hmm. behind it which of course our scientist community really appreciates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if we speak about change management, can you give a definition to that or what does that mean for you? Right. For me, it's guiding people on the journey of discovery toward a defined ambition that mm. will have win-win win scenarios. Mm-hmm. So those that journey is going to benefit the, the individuals. It has a sense of growth mindset, a sense of personal development, uh, relearning, upskilling, but it also as an organization will have components of increasing capability, increasing capacity, and all of that toward a, a already predefined ambition of value. So for us, for instance, it's becoming digital so that we can 
deliver accelerated solutions. But prior to that, the change management is taking people on that journey mm-hmm. and making sure that they have enough reinforcement and they have enough clarity to know what they're working towards, but also that they don't miss what they need to achieve along the way. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really taking people with you and making sure everybody kind of understands where the journey is. Everybody understands why these things need to happen. Um, everybody understands what their role in the change is. Um, and I would take it one step further. It's not just to understand, but to be compelled. Mm-hmm. Okay. You don't yeah. want people to just be aware and to intellectually understand. You want people to truly generate a sense of desire for that journey mm-hmm. and that and that ambition. You mentioned growth mindset. So, so that is, uh, I think, the, the opposite of having a fixed mindset. So what does that mean for you? Growth mindset is really that curiosity, that beginning point with the curiosity. And the it's it's a balance of, of confidence and humility. It's full confidence in the expertise you have so far and humility in the continued learning that that you are open to. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you bring your expertise and then build on it with with additional learning and it and accepting that that may be relearning something or unlearning something based on new information. So it basically has the assumptions that you can grow outside of your role, that you can learn something new, that you um, can achieve more than uh, what you were thinking before. I would say that and growth inside your role. I mean, it still requires a growth mindset. If you're already an expert, for instance, a statistician, you can decide, okay, I'm an expert statistician and I'm as good as I'm going to get at that. Or you can decide I can be better at that every day. And that's still growth within your role, but that still requires a growth mindset. It could be how do I coach other people? It could be how do I learn from other people that I haven't, you know, non-traditional peers or non-traditional experts and how do I incorporate that into being a statistician? But it can also mean how do I step outside my role? How do I contribute to a conversation that they may not have been asking for a statistician, but how do I raise my hand and say, I know I could bring something to that space. Um, you can be both the recipient and the stimulus. Mm-hmm. And yep. seeing those opportunities. Yeah. I think that is, uh, that's very true to statistician. I think the, um, there's a lot of focus on the methodological skills, but if you have, um, if you think a little bit further, you can see that these methodologically minded people have also a lot of opportunity to drive um, change by acquiring other skills in mm-hmm. terms of, for example, better communication, better presentation skills. For sure. So that people better understand what do these analyses, uh, do the analysis actually do with the data? What is the real conclusions? Where are the strengths and the limitations of this study design versus another study design? Right. And so I think this is where, again, kind of also the change always comes back to. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, um, okay, 
change we have talked now a little bit about it is sometimes on a really big scale kind of you know you mm -hmm. want to drive the cultural change of a complete organization from being more digital minded and uh, or you have maybe you know a very small change like you know um, having a new process or a new career path or, or things like that yeah. although i think the career path is not small but <laughs> no but it can happen in small conversations i'll give you a great example there are two moments that i've had with there are many moments i've had with great statisticians but there's two that pop into my mind that i wanted to speak to you about One is a particular statistician that had all these ideas and knew that he could make things better, but he didn't speak up outside of his function. You know, he was so used to the statistician being in the role where I'd tell my manager and my manager makes that decision and mm -hmm. yeah. that box, he stayed within the box. And when I was on a team with him, I challenged the whole team and said, take constraints completely off the table, feasibility, money, all of that, what would your craziest idea be? And it gave him the freedom to throw out some of these ideas. And one of those actually turned into one of the most transformative solutions to gaining time with our submission work. Mm -hmm. And that makes a huge difference, getting drugs to patients faster. That's a big thing, but it was a small conversation That enabled him to speak up, to raise his hand, to share that crazy idea. Yeah. The other conversation with the statistician was in a taxi cab. We okay. were on the way to a meeting together and we were just talking, chatting. I was doing a job rotation. I've been in clinical for 20 years. I decided to take a job rotation in the commercial side in a group that I've never worked with. And just talking with him through how did you come up with that? Why, who did you even ask? He would say, how did you even end up being able to do that? It, in that 30 minute conversation, he started thinking, well, what if I could do X, Y, or Z? And he started thinking of other roles that he would like to shadow to, to make himself better as a statistician and to make his, stat, his, make his role as a statistician on the team more impactful. If I could only understand how they make decisions, I could help them inform those decisions better. And so then he reached out and asked about a job rotation. So that that's really that growth mindset of how do you take the, the barriers down for yourself? Um, and I think there's huge potential in the statisticians. I, I'm a big fan <laughs> with how much they can transform if they can find those, like you said, those tactics of how do you communicate all the genius in your head? How do you get that out so that the people can have those aha moments and, and make different decisions? So it's, it's really interesting. You know, you um, have asked your job to drive change. Yeah, so that is kind of, it's a full-time job. And you may wonder why it is, why does it need the person, yeah, to only do this, what, what's so hard about change? We are inherently wired to resist change. Um, we're inherently drawn to consistency, to routine, to what works, what we know works mm -hmm. and repeat, right? 
fail and abort. You don't, you don't go down that path anymore. You, you stick with what works. It's also, it takes time. And we are in a world where people, everything is so accelerated that the time to even reflect on what's happening around you or what is possible, what could be different. Mm-hmm. It's hard for people to find the energy and the, and the time on the clock, but also the energy mm-hmm. to explore and putting some intention behind it by having something called change management and having roles and objectives in that space, I think helps to carve out the intention so that people can feel like, okay, this is important. This is a priority, but we are very much in, in in particular, maybe for statisticians in particular in, in very academic type of settings, you know, I constantly hear, well, you should just tell people and then they should just do it. Like that's the process. Um, yeah, so it, it's funny to bring in the human component with the academic community. I'm like, you know, the research doesn't say that though. I could give you the research. <laughs> it, it is exactly it's like this. The, the facts should speak for itself. Why don't we just all agree on it and, you know, change tomorrow? Yeah. But, and it's not an intellectual decision. That's the thing. Yeah. We can all agree to it. But the the change is not intellectual. It's driven by underlying belief, which has to then shape the way you look at a decision, which then shapes your behavior, which then shapes your patterns and your habits. And fundamentally, we have to get to those experiences that transform somebody and through an aha moment. You can't have change without the person realizing there's something to this for me. And I want it enough to make a conscious decision. Yeah, and that takes effort. Let's dig a little deeper in that. So in terms of these different steps that I need to go through, um, as someone that kind of is in this change, uh, so could you define a certain kind of steps that I would usually go to? Is there some kind of, you know, usual kind of journey that I run through this change? So I would guess, you know, first, I have never heard about, you know, a, a change in the organizations that's about to happen. So maybe, you know, the first step is I have no clue that something is going to happen. So the next step is maybe, I don't know, I first hear about it. What are these different steps that, that people usually run through? Are you asking what are the steps that the recipient experiences or what are the steps of a strategy for change? From a recipient perspective, yeah. Mm. That's a hard question, Alistair. Um, I mean, the the first step, if you're going to be conscious about it, is to be unconsciously curious. And that's that's the hard part of me answering what are the steps for a recipient? Mm -hmm. Because realistically, the first steps should be an unconscious reaction to something. There should be a stimulus there that you've gotten curious about. And then you've pursued that curiosity. Mm. So there's a new change that you heard about and you're curious. Ooh, I wonder if that's going to impact my job or, Ooh, that sounds exciting. How could I, I wonder if there's a way I could get involved with that. There could be a positive or a, or a concerning reaction. And then you would, pursue 
more information to then intellectually learn Mm -hmm. what about this is piquing my curiosity? What about this do I need to learn more about? And then you would take some kind of action in, you know, a directed action to getting more knowledge in that direction. From the strategy side, our first step is then obviously to design something and experience that would peak interest, would peak curiosity. Um, One of the things that I've learned through this last uh, effort of focus on change management is we've typically gone through as selling to people, right? Mm -hmm. I need to sell you my solution and I'm going to convince you that it's so great. Yeah. You want to jump on board and we're all in there kumbaya together. That's really how we've typically approached things. My most recent revelation is that that's not the right way to go about it. You really just need to get people curious. You don't want to think you're selling because when you're selling something, you're shutting yourself down from being honest about the learning component of it, about the journey that's still to come. You're promising something that you may or may not truly deliver. Whereas curiosity is empowers the person to come on the the journey with you. Selling something to you, you you have two decisions, right? You can either buy it or not. Mm -hmm. I'm selling. But if I, come at you to try to get you curious. There's a lot of options. There's a lot of ways that you could react to me. You could, you could still reject it and say, I'm, I'm still not curious, but you could explore, you could volunteer, you could tell someone else how ridiculous it was, but at least that's spreading the word Mm -hmm. and someone else would get curious and they might seek some more information. So the real important part is tapping into that, what we call the adaptive mode of thinking versus the automatic mode of thinking. The automatic is that frontal um, cortex yeah. where you respond to something immediately. I, it, this either affirms my understanding or I'd reject it because it's not in line with my understanding. It's very intellectual reaction and change is always rejected in the frontal because it doesn't align with any, any yeah. of your consistent understanding. We have to switch to help trigger people's adaptive mode of thinking, getting t- to the different part of the brain where they're not as, in control and quick to react. And that's really through the sense of curiosity so that they'll explore more. And that's where you can get the sense of relevance on an individual level. So rather than going, for example, in a discussion saying, um, I would like to change our design to this and then sell it to someone, I would more go into this and say, what if we could Cut exactly. sample size down by 20%. Exactly. Yeah. What would be the reaction of our KOLs if we had this kind of story we could share with them? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And once you get them triggered, then you follow their pursuit, right? Then if they say, yeah, what if we could? But what if we could say this? You follow them. And you can bring them back to wherever you you wanted them to land. But if you follow your audience's natural curiosity, they will come on that journey with you. Yes. Whereas if you just tell them, they have the opportunity to reject it before they realize that they want it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, And that uh, that automatic mode says, I don't understand. Or that automatic mode says, that's ridiculous. There's no way we could do that because it's never been done. That's not how we do it. And then you you can't get past that. We have never done it that way. (laughs) Yeah. I've gotten that answer a lot. (laughs) It usually follows. But if you want to go try it, go ahead. And then, okay, then I do. (laughs) Reminds me of something that I... Uh, so yesterday is kind of um, uh, what British people speak and what Germans understand. And so yeah. this is an interesting idea. Right. <laughs> that so. word interesting is used in every culture and we are never saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's, that's also really nice if you go into this way, you basically incorporate the others in the solution. Yeah, yes. so, so it, it, it becomes not your idea that you sell to them. It becomes your collective idea and your collective process. Yeah, yeah. they feel like they stumbled on it. And, and, and quite frankly, let's be fully honest, that is frustrating for the brilliant person that already knew where you needed to go. I, I empathize. I very much empathize. It is so frustrating and you should say, well, they should just trust me. I know what I'm doing. I'm telling them I'm the expert. Um, but time and time again, experience and research will, will show us that's not how we work. And you're going to get that rallying and swelling enthusiasm behind it if they can have that journey for themselves. Yes, and sometimes a, it takes longer than, it, than you think it should. There's an interesting quote by Roosevelt uh, that goes something like, um, it's incredible what you can achieve if you don't care who gets the credit. It is an important component and it's a hard one. Yeah, yeah. And I can, I can see that for myself as well. So it's, you, know, you want to be credited for your idea and things like this, but well, in the end, you know, especially kind of in these cross-functional teams, yeah, it's about coming up with a great idea for the team and getting the team along. And then, you know, everybody in the team wins for their function. Yeah? So, so if you happen to be the statistician in a team that performs very well and comes up with great idea, that within your function, that again reflects on you. Yeah. So, um, There's also opportunity. I, I encourage people two things. One, the recognition may come back just in a different form. So people, when they start to say, who do you want on our team? Your name will always be the statistician they want. They just don't know why they're saying it. Yeah. You know, They may not be able to say it's because he figured out that one solution that time. They're just going to have a sense that you help them be better at who, what they need to be good at. Yeah. Um, the other way to get the credit is to follow up and say, this was a really powerful experience. This is the journey we went on and you can help it have some more in- attention to the intention that you put into it. Mm-hmm. You know, I started with this question. Then we had this conversation and, then we got to this, which is where I was trying to, to get us to. And it was really great that we rallied around that. And that can be in the right moment with the right people, of course. But there are still ways to 
pat yourself on the back because that's also a way to help someone else grow. Mm -hmm. If they can learn from, oh, wow, that was powerful. If they can see that there was a process and design to that methodology or to that experience versus it just being haphazard or circumstantial, that's a growth opportunity for them and for you. Then you to all of a sudden turn into a coach and a mentor versus just the statistician. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so after this kind of curiosity stage, and we, you know, have people now on board to, let's say, move forward on the journey. What's the next step then? Then it gets really hard on the, <laughs> the on the side of the people leading the project. So you've got to really be able to translate once the curiosity is peaked. You've got to be able to translate into what does this tangibly mean? What does this look like? What will this feel like on a day-to-day? What will change to the day-to-day behavior? And you've got to get clarity around that because that's when people are going to say, okay, how? What do I need to do or what's going to be done with me or to me or for me? So getting really clear into how the change is going to impact and who the change is going to impact what you need people to do. Mm-hmm. That's where you really want to clarify the ask. A tool that's really useful in that space. So once you get people curious, then come up with a metaphor or an analogy that people can can relate to mm-hmm. so that it helps them bridge from an experience they are familiar with into the experience that they are anticipating but don't yet know about. Right. So this is where that's where metaphors and analogies are really useful because they can say, oh, I get that. So now I see what you're talking about. I'll give you an example. There's a program that I'm working on that's going to leverage, you know, the concept of standards, data standards. Right. How if you have certain data standards, then you can use them in different ways. If you've got that predefined piece of data, you can use it in different ways that while it stays consistent, Mm -hmm. it can be leveraged. I found on LinkedIn, just as I was scrolling, this random furniture advertisement, but it was someone who had designed this piece of furniture that converted from a bench to a chair, to a table, to it was the same piece of furniture Mm -hmm. that was modular and it just converted into all these different um, positions and uses. I take this into the conversation with this community that's struggling with this concept of data standards and how are we going to do this differently and say, imagine if this was your data and all the different pieces of furniture are all the different documents that you need to create with this piece of data. And then you see that, Oh, that's how that's going to work. Yeah. It's not really spelling out the process. We still haven't told them the SOP or the user guide, but just getting them to get a sense for how's this going to work? Mm -hmm. And then how is that going to look different for me? That's the next step is to create that piece where they can relate to what's coming. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And what's the next step then? Yeah. So once you relate to what's coming, then you really do need to get into the, the more intellectual component. The next step is where you really explain, okay, so this is how, let me break this down for you. This is the process. This is who's involved. This is the how, when, what, 
type so of explanation the kind of details come, yeah. come that in. we typically lead with and get and turn people off to right our typical approach is we tell them what then we tell them how when mm. eventually if they're still listening to us we circle back and tell them the exciting part <laughs> <laughs> um, of why and all of that so yes this totally pivots get them curious first give them a way to relate to the to the value that's coming then give them the more detailed explanation it sounds a little bit also like uh, Simon Sinek's Golden Circle, isn't it? Is is kind very of very much related. Yeah. That start with the why thing. Yes, yeah. the difference um, with that. Yes, it starts with the why, but his doesn't address the adaptive and automatic response to yeah. things. So his yeah. doesn't address coming at it from an intellectual versus a stimulating point of view. But it very much is aligned with the. They need to be bought into the why first. So, you know, we have, as statisticians, we have all kind of different things that we want to change. Yeah, it's, it's uh, very often said we want to propose a new idea or things like that. What are skills that statisticians should learn to become better in driving change? Yeah. I'm not going to say better in that I feel like I know enough statisticians to judge <laughs> cumulatively, but skills that are really important are asking good questions mm -hmm. so that you can appreciate really where is your audience in terms of their pain points and their ambitions and then design around that. Right. And it, by that, I don't mean only address what they tell you to address. I mean, position it as a way to address what they're saying or their pain points or ambitions. That is a very good point. I was, I was recently in a, in a coaching session with a couple of other statisticians. And um, we are trained as problem solvers. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And so present a problem and we have the direct response if you get a you get an answer yeah so so it's it's kind of so natural yeah that people provide an answer to to a problem um and then not doing that but asking a question is a real big change um so i think for for people to understand that people need to understand okay this is a habit that we have and we need to break this habit. And there is the, uh, if you have a habit, there is usually this cue and then craving and then response and reward. Right. And I think we need to, you know, have a different craving after this cue of having a problem. And the, the craving should be, we need to be curious and understand more rather than having the craving to be the hero that solves the problem. And so uh, that is really something important for, for uh, us more technically minded people that yeah. have been in consulting roles for you know very, very long time and are always asked for, for solutions. But then you know coming back with a question is uh, feels first quite weird, but yeah, that's a very yeah. I would say that you can have both cravings um, because you will be more of a superhero 
if you first understood what the real problem was versus yep. solving the wrong problem. And yep. how many statisticians, I mean, let's be real. How frustrating is it? They ask you for something, you go deliver all these tables, and then they come back and say, well, that didn't answer my what I really yep. wanted to know. So <laughs> why don't you tell me what you really wanted to know? And then I could, <laughs> right? So it's it's mutually beneficial here. It's, yeah, yeah. it's also, you know, my kids aren't going to be able to tell me exactly what they need. My, you know, one would tell me he's really angry, but if I dug in, he might actually be sad or embarrassed. And that might be a completely different approach to responding. Yeah. Quite frankly, we carry that with us, right? We, we aren't always, your, your stakeholders are not always going to be able to tell you exactly what they're trying to achieve. That's really where the, the art of being the statistician is. Yeah, right? yeah, the the yeah. art of discovery, the art of making sure that the answer really does address the main problem, not the surface, the first response problem. So the tactic there, I mean, we say the five whys, or if you dig five yeah. layers, if you ask five times, you'll ultimately get to what's really underlying. I'm not saying necessarily statisticians shouldn't take action until they've asked five questions, but <laughs> the premise of make sure that you dig a little bit so that you really know, because that could also open you up creatively. Mm, if you yeah. found what the real problem is, then you could show your true brilliance and your true superhero versus your transactional delivery. You yeah. know, let's go yeah. from, they ask you for a table, you deliver said table. That's very transactional. Let's go to, they ask you for something you help really clarify the problem that you're trying to address. Then you truly solve for it. True superhero, true partner. Yep. Opens up the field for what else you could do. And much less frustration for sure. Hopefully much less frustration. Yeah. One minor additional behavior leads to much less frustration and more reward. Hopefully that would balance out. Very good. Do you have any, References, any books, podcasts, whatsoever that you would recommend for people to learn about change? Do you have a kind of favorite book that you would recommend? Alexander, this is where I'm going to be the wrong person for you. I, I get most, and this is, this is unique to me. I, I, will, I won't assume that it's for everyone I get most of mine stimulus from just scrolling and exploring. I'll, I'll literally scroll LinkedIn for hours okay. with people from all different spheres and just see what, how the different pieces stimulate me, how they, diff, how they fit together. I do get a lot from some of the research by, the Deloitte's, the BCG's, there's some nice, for the people that desire the data points, mm -hmm. there's some really nice research just staying on top of the, the trends in those spaces, the human capital trends. They have nice reports. Me personally, though, I'm just usually more stimulated by the synergy of the various stimulus that I get in that way. And then I come back and kind of have it validated by those human trend reports, I see, okay, what I'm seeing now shows up in these reports. So I'm on, I'm on point. Um, 
but then there are different, there's different neuroscience behavior science, you know, that space for people that do want more of the, the data points. I am really finding a lot more benefit from that angle of really looking at it from a behavior science, neuroscience standpoint. It seems to work at least in the academic community really well. Yeah. So behavioral science, it's, um, uh, psychology um, and all the kind of consultancies of course yeah well consultants are there to drive change usually so they need to be really really good at it um yeah that's that's and they all aren't so if anyone is (laughs) is, that's where being someone who asks good questions really comes in handy in, in fleshing things out there are a lot of change management consultants there was a wave in change management of really creating the rigor behind it, right? Several years ago of really building up the methodology of it to make it feel robust and um, ADCAR and ACA, there were all these frameworks put in place, but the the flaw of them all is that they're linear. Mm -hmm. They all create this perception that if you start here and you go through these steps, then you'll end here and then voila, it's done. And the reality is that that's not how it works. It's very human and anything human is not linear. It's going to be iterative. It's going to be try, learn, come back, bring them, bring more people along with you, try again. So I think they, the change management space did a little bit of disservice in, to themselves in that regard. So now the top consultants and the top people in change management are undoing that a little bit and it's more the artful way of asking the right questions and then putting a plan in place and then learning and and bringing it forward so if you are considering engaging in that consultant space um, beware of your draw towards what feels like a nice rigorous process because sometimes that doesn't always turn into people who can translate that into real human interaction and human behavior yeah yeah it yeah it it needs to be kind of a more kind of a agile process that you know that you do two step forwards and one step sideways and you know you learn as you go because there's always something new if you're driving change well by the, by the definition lots of things will be new and unexpected and so um having something like a clearly defined one year plan probably not work yeah yeah. It's good to have to know where you're trying to get to and to have a framework for what you want to try. And yeah. the keyword there is try and, and to have it not go that way doesn't mean it failed. It means you learned, which is actually yeah. what you're supposed to be doing. So it's a lot of switching just our own mindset, particularly in scientific communities or in expertise areas like status, like statisticians, because you think this is how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So opening yourself up to viewing that process to be different is hard, but it's, it's necessary. And along those lines, I would also say it requires you to rethink the approach of your, to your stakeholders. So for example, we are organized very functionally, usually, right? Statisticians are all in one group. The clinical people are all in one group, blah, blah, blah. And so we think, okay, our strategy is going to be, I'm going to go to this team of people because that's how we're organized. I'm going to go to this team and engage them this way. I'm going to talk to this team and engage them that way. 
in reality from change management, you may need to group people completely differently. You may need to find where are my, I've been in industry less than five years people. Mm -hmm. That may be your target group you need to engage. It may be the people who like to socialize together. And that's how you need to define a group. So you really have to kind of take away the parameters that you're used to understanding people and connecting people and think, how are they going to receive this message? Who's already on board? How do I leverage those people? And that may be much more informal grouping than what your organization reflects, especially from a statistician who's trying to get people to think differently or approach something differently, you know, you're going to have to find the influencers, right? Who could I connect to? And then they could bring the rest of the group on board versus you convincing the whole group. Yes. I I think that is, that's a really good tactic to kind of first convince someone that likely will come on board rather than trying to convince a whole group at once. Um, so, so I think I called another, don't know, podcast episode or LinkedIn post, Divided Impera. So, so, um, divide and conquer. So you mm-hmm. first, <laughs> you first to- take those ones that will most likely, um, be on your, uh, on your side and then you grow from there rather than trying to, you know, agree everybody or you know convince everybody at at the same time yeah we call that viral change (laughs) is is the strategy for it so it's that you know a fire started here a fire started there a little fire somebody dropped a cigarette that's how these wildfires start right nobody goes through and says i'm going to torch all of california they start in little pockets so the positive version of that is viral change of how do you have five different small conversations with people that have big voices or people that have broad networks and let them spread for you and then create a pull where somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I heard about this from so-and-so tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best scenario. Yeah. Very good. That was an awesome discussion about change. We, we talked a lot about what it means. We talked about that change can happen kind of on a big corporate uh, initiative, but also in in small groups and that it has a lot to do with having, yeah, going on a journey um, and and taking people with you and um, not selling it to people, but uh, getting together on what we could we achieve and why do we need to achieve it and, and then getting everybody on, on the same, uh, same page there. And then, yeah, moving, learning, trying, failing and moving again and, and kind of keep, keep pushing. And so that was really, really nice. And, and with lots of very good examples that I think we can all relate to with the kind of, you get a question and you directly jump to the conclusion and just to find out that, now you have produced 100 tables for nothing. Um, that's, that's really good. Thanks so much, Beth. Is there any kind of final message you would like to hear as a listener? My final message is to, I, I'll, I'll celebrate in honor of 
um, RBGs passing recently in the US, the speak up even if your voice shakes quote. Yep. Um, I really encourage, you know, the statisticians, you've, they've got amazing ideas and know where we could go with things. So speak up and give people the grace and patience to walk them through your thought process, help them see the questions that you think you could answer and what the benefit would be to answering those questions. But definitely speak up and think outside of the natural barriers that happen in our institutions or organizations or even the nature of the job, because it really is a powerful contributor to almost every story that an organization needs to tell. Mm. So definitely be willing to, to grow as you're doing with, with the podcast, you know, take that first step, but then also take the second step of speaking up and, and getting people to come with you. It'll be a win-win if you really look at it that way. It's not all on your shoulders, but you have a valuable contribution to whatever the group can achieve. Thanks so much. Thank you. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain who helps with the show in the background and thank you for listening. I hope you did enjoy this show as much as I did when I recorded it and that you tell your colleagues about it because that would be really important to have more people joining in driving change, in making our industry better, in better delivering new treatments to patients. Please visit theeffectivestatistician.com where you will find the show notes and learn more about this podcast to boost your career in the health sector. Reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.